This episode of DFS MVP is sponsored by Draft, a daily fantasy app where your chances of winning are over 200% better than on other DFS sites. On Draft, you can do a simple snake draft for one week whenever you want. A draft takes just minutes to complete. Download Draft now. Be sure to enter the promo code 444 to get a 100% deposit bonus. You know what time it is. It's money time. Welcome to DFS MVP Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4's Senior DFS Editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What is going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? So I got this huge burst of energy this week. Like we've been grinding all summer and doing a bunch of off-season stuff, and uh, I, I have this thought in the back of my head: like, am I going to be excited for week one? And then I started doing my research yesterday, and it, it all came back to me. I, I cannot wait for Sunday. Like we get we get uh, a game on Thursday, but Sunday is the it's the big Christmas morning that we've all been waiting for. Definitely Thursday. Just a little preview should be a really interesting real football game, but not too many dfs implications there unless we are just totally bad at what we do and it's going to be a huge high scoring game but before we get into the podcast before we get into the position by position breakdown before we get into the dfs theory segment on the accuracy of early season vegas lines of course we have to mention the song which played us in which was cash rules everything around me otherwise known as Cream, off the Wu-Tang Clan's 1993 album, Enter the Wu, 36 Chambers. I thought this was a really fitting song for week one, TJ. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we're supposed to have classic rap. We don't have any Wu-Tang yet, so we had to get that in at some point. And then, I mean, we're we're all about the shmoney, so we had to have uh, another cash song at some point. So it was perfect. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's crazy that you mentioned that. I had to ask you before the show if we use this song already and maybe it just wasn't on the playlist because I'm actually surprised we've gone 20 some odd podcasts without any Wu Tang. But great album, great song. Check it up. Enter the Wu 36 Chambers. Let's get into week one. Now, just a note before we get into things the FanDuel main slate. Includes the Monday night game, but the DraftKings main slate doesn't include the Monday night games. So I'm wondering if DraftKings will perhaps release a Monday night slate with just the two games um, closer to Monday. But as of right now, the millionaire maker for DraftKings is a Sunday only slate. So that's something to keep in mind. Of course, you can get the Thursday to Monday by playing on FanDuel Thursday or the FanDuel Sunday slate. So just something to keep in mind there. But let's get right into our position-by-position breakdowns. TJ, start us off. I know you have your eye on a certain minimum-priced preseason star. Yeah, so starting with the quarterback position, uh, talking about Dak Prescott isn't going to surprise anybody, and we'll get into some some more contrarian picks as we get throughout the podcast. But uh, just to start this off there, if if you're playing cash games, I don't think there's a better way to open up your lineup than to have Dak at minimum salary. Uh, I did a little bit of a study uh, before this week, and a quick way just to look at value of both pass catchers and quarterbacks. and uh, It's kind of a simplified version of a preseason study that Kevin Cole does, but what, it, what it's doing is comparing the price of a quarterback to his pass catcher. So I looked at uh, the price of a quarterback compared to his top three projected pass catchers, and the guy that stood out the most was Dak Prescott. Obviously, he's minimum salary, but he's going to be throwing to a very reliable Des Bryant, who's arguably the best red zone wide receiver we've maybe ever seen and then we know Jason Witten is that uh, old reliable that he can always uh, look to and we also have Ezekiel Elliott who is an all-around running back he's going to be playing behind probably the best offensive line in the league one reason that I'm especially interested in targeting this Dallas Cowboys offense especially Dak and Cash is because one trend or one uh 
one indicator that we might look at. Uh, we talk about Vegas lines a lot, but we don't talk about public betting too much. But uh, 72% of the public bets are on the Giants right now. In a game that's a pick where the Giants are the road team, you just don't see that very often. And when Vegas still thinks the game is going to be close and we see the public pounding one side, especially when it's the visiting team, uh, that's usually an indicator that you might want to go the other way. The public's just really bad at gauging games, especially in, in, in the NFL. So uh, I think that there is some uh, there, there are some surprises to be had in this game for how we think it's going to go. And another thing I I really like about Dak Prescott is anytime you're rostering a quarterback, especially in cash games, you want to give yourself a little bit of extra padding on that floor. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to target uh, quarterbacks that have some rushing ability. And he has as much rushing ability as anybody as we've seen uh, in preseason and in college. He rushed for at least 500 yards in his last three seasons at Mississippi State. And when you consider that he's only $5,000 on both sites, um, it's really easy to imagine scenarios where he hits that two and a half uh, X value on FanDuel, three and a half X on uh, DraftKings, and if he steals a rushing touchdown or maybe even two, then we're we're really in business. So uh, I, I like Dak a lot in cash games. Now you like him in cash games. How do you feel about him in GPPs? Because my thought with Dak is okay. He he can rush, and of course that gives him that six-point touchdown upside. Do you think his upside will be capped at all? Do you think Dallas goes on an extremely run-heavy game plan and really bleeds clock against the Giants? Because the Giants themselves actually had some wonky stats last year. Odell Beckham, Eli Manning really struggled in two games against the Cowboys. So how do you feel about Dak in GPPs before even considering his ownership, just in terms of his actual upside overall yeah i mean the first thing that i thought of when i heard tony romo got hurt is that Dak's going to be an easy fade in gpps uh because he the the reason he's great in cash is like yeah he can hit that two three x value which is fine um but he opens up so much at the other positions but i do think that the Cowboys are already the slowest paced team. We've seen that the last two seasons with completely different offenses. Uh, we saw fully healthy, they were slowest paced team in the league. Completely decimated, they were the slowest paced team in the league. So they're not going to run a lot of plays. Then you have to think with a rookie quarterback that's never played a game in the NFL, they're going to slow it down a little bit. So I do like him in cash games, but I do think that he's probably going to be an easy fade, especially when you consider how highly he's going to be owned, uh, even in GPPs. Uh, I think it, it's a pretty easy decision. Do you think he's going to be the top-owned quarterback in GPPs? Man, it's so hard to say because we're going like, to – like week one is crazy because we're getting this huge influx of players um, – people that have never played before, people that are throwing a lot more money at tournaments than they might usually. Uh, so I think ownership percentage will probably be a little closer across the board than we might expect. Um, but I do think he'll still be the top on quarterback, if I had to guess, in GPPs. Definitely. And you make a good point. Quarterback ownership in general is usually flatter than some of the other positions just because there's so many options at the quarterback mm -hmm. position. Moving on, so this year, for you guys that have listened before to DFS MVP, we usually break up the positions where TJ will take a position and then I'll take a position and we'll switch off each week. But this year, we're going to do it a little different. Each of us is going to give a play for each position and we'll each do two plays at the wide receiver position. For me at quarterback, I am looking at Russell Wilson. He is 8,500 on FanDuel, 7,900 on DraftKings going against the Dolphins at home, quarterback value positively correlated with being a home favorite with a high team total. Wilson Seahawks currently a 10.5 point favorite with a team total over 27. Now I will mention that this line opened earlier in the summer at Seahawks minus 7.5 and, and it essentially got bet up to 10.5 and, and TJ will talk about this a lot more later in our DFS theory segment, but for all intents and purposes, I'm treating this game more like a 7.5 spread than the 10.5 spread. I think that's just because the public sees a team like the Seahawks and they hammer that line at home. But nevertheless, really good spot in terms of Vegas for Russell Wilson. He owns our 
second highest ceiling projection among QBs at four for four, and he's not in the top two priced on either site. So you're getting a tiny bit of value there, even in terms of his overall upside. Both Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett should have plus matchups against the Miami secondary. And we're looking for efficiency out of our quarterbacks. And Russell Wilson was the best quarterback in the NFL over the second half of 2015. Over the last eight games, he averaged 311 total yards and 3.25 total touchdowns per game with a 25-2 to touchdown to interception ratio. So I really like Russell Wilson in this spot. He actually averages more rushing touchdowns per game when the Seahawks are favored by seven or more. And he hasn't really shown that much of a dip in production, no dip in production at all when the Seahawks are large favorites. I know some people are scared to roster quarterbacks in games where the team is a huge favorite, but quarterbacks are accounting for roughly 70% of yardage and touchdowns in the NFL these days. And because Wilson is a rushing threat, he can actually account for even more than that. So not really worried about the spread of this game. And really like Russell Wilson, think you can get him at some reduced ownership in tournaments as well since there are so many cheap options. But we also this year on DFS MVP will have a new addition to the pod. What we'll be doing is for each position, me and TJ both will be providing you guys with a key stat. It's just a little cool nugget that we've dug up either in our off-season research or during the week. And we're not going to break it down or discuss it too much, but we'll just kind of give you these key stats for each position and weave those out and you guys can kind of take take them and do what you want with them so tj why don't you go ahead with your key stat for qbs yeah and before i give out my stat i just want to say i do love russell wilson especially in tournaments because although the seahawks have the second highest implied team total they have a really they're in a game with a really low over under so i do think that'll cause some people to avoid that game uh and ignore the implied total so i love that call but uh, my key stats on quarterbacks is quarterbacks that threw two or fewer touchdowns still hit tournament value over 46 percent of the time on DraftKings if they hit the 300 yard passing mark interesting Mine is regarding the Jets-Cincinnati game. It's, it's one of the lowest on the slate in terms of over-under. The public is betting 72% on the over, but it, the, the line hasn't moved. Andy Dalton last season, 2.9 yards per passing play when pressured, but he's been pressured at a league low 18.5% rate. However, Todd Bowles sends pressure over 50% of the time and six men or more on blitzes more than any other team in the league, and the Jets had the sixth highest pressure rate in 2015. Mm, I got a feeling about that game, but uh, <laughs> I'll leave that for, for another time. Cool. Uh, let's go on to running backs. TJ, who you feeling at the RB position in week one? Yeah, we've had a bunch of injuries uh, at the running back position, so pricing's a little wonky now. But the guy that I like, uh, especially on DraftKings, is Kristen Michael. He's been a Twitter sweetheart, it seems like, for years, and it looks like he's finally going to get his chance. It looks like Rawls is going to be limited at best. Kristen Michael is uh, atop the Seahawks' depth chart. Seattle, as you mentioned, is a 10-point home favorite, which always bodes well for running backs. Uh, There's this misconception of the Seattle offense that they got more uh, pass-heavy last year toward down the stretch. They didn't. They just got a lot more efficient. If you look at their pass-run splits through their first eight games, they rushed on uh, 51% of their plays. If you look at the second half, it was 50%. So almost no difference there. We're getting a guy very close to Minsa. 3700 on DraftKings, 4800 on FanDuel. Uh, that has 20 touch upside. And if you look at the 4 for 4 lineup generators, he's the top running back value as of now on FanDuel. And he's the second highest uh, running back value on DraftKings. Just a couple guys I want to mention real quick because I know you have another uh, discount guy. If you're paying up, I really like Latavius Murray. Love D'Angelo if you're playing the Monday slate. And I think Lamar Miller has the running back one uh, overall in his range of outcomes as well. Going back to Michael, I did an article, two articles in the offseason entitled The Definitive Guide to Stacking on DraftKings and on FanDuel. 
And I found in those articles that the running back is actually the second best player besides the wide receiver one to stack with a quarterback. So Christian Michael cheap, Russell Wilson expensive, just saying. <laughs> so let's let's move on. My running back of choice in week one is looking like Spencer Ware against the San Diego Chargers. Looks like Jamal Charles is not going to play in week one, which is why you don't draft him in the second round of MFL 10s before you know that he is healthy. However, this sets up in a, for a really good game for Spencer Ware. The Chiefs are a seven-point favorite. That line has stayed pretty consistent throughout the offseason Really, really great line for running backs because, of course, game script, when a team is leading, they will run a lot more. Spencer Ware, in two games versus the Chargers in 2015, played only 38 snaps because he was locked into a committee with Sharkandrick West at the time. In those, On those 38 snaps, he ran 19 times for a buck 48. And two touchdowns. So even if Ware's workload is not, say, up to what Jamal Charles's would usually be, if Ware can get 38 snaps, which I think is a solid floor for him to get in this game, he can still put up a monster line. And the Chargers have been a bottom five team in terms of yards per rush allowed in all three seasons under their defensive coordinator Pagano and to try to rectify the problem they added a new nose tackle Brandon Meebane but the problem with that is that Meebane ranked 131st in PFF's run defense grade last year so I don't know if that's necessarily going to be an upgrade it's not at least on paper at the moment Joey Bosa's not going to play as well although he he'd probably be an undersized run defender anyway, but the San Diego defense looks like it can be had on the ground yet again in 2016. TJ, what's your key running back stat? My key running back stat is that 84% of running backs that finished with an average top six score on FanDuel scored two plus touchdowns over the last three years. On DraftKings, the same average top six score, the running backs only 63% of them had two-plus touchdowns. Very cool. Mine is Devontae Freeman in two games versus the Bucks last year, averaged 116 total yards per game and eight catches per game. So let's get into the wide receiver position, arguably the most important in DFS. You need the most roster slots at wide receiver. You can play four on DraftKings. So take us away, TJ. Yeah, so a uh, little little note on my guys. The way that salaries are working out this week with quarterback, with Dak, with cheap running backs, uh, you can really load up on the top guys. So you have one that you like the most that you're going to get into, but uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say that if you can get those top guys, get them in your lineup. So uh, ignoring those guys, some picks that I like that aren't so obvious. And the first one is Mike Evans, who is $7,400 on DraftKings and $7,900 on FanDuel. And this is my favorite game to stack overall. We've talked a lot about game stacks and team stacks uh, in our off-season podcasts. And we're going to get into why I like this range to stack my lineups in, especially early in the year in our theory segment. But in the offseason, I wrote up Jameis Winston and Mike Evans as touchdown regression candidates going into the year. I think that can start very early in a game that I expect to be very high scoring in Atlanta. Uh, the way the salaries work out this week, rostering a wide receiver in this tier, like I mentioned, you could really load up on these top guys who are the most expensive. So you're going to see a lot of uh, lineups, even if people are trying to be unique in their player selection, uh, the roster construction is still going to be very similar. 
So if you drop down to like the second-ish tier and get a guy like Evans, you're not only going to have a unique player, you're going to have a very unique roster makeup. And I think it's a great pivot, uh, not at a price point, but off of a player to get Evans in your lineup uh, if you don't want Julio or stacking with Julio. But Julio has an ankle thing that you talked about off air with me. Uh, He didn't even practice fully today, so that's uh, a little interesting. I really love Evans uh, going into this week. And then another guy that I like that I think people might be a little surprised that I'm picking is Jarvis Landry. He's $6,000 on DraftKings and $6,600 on FanDuel. It looks like Devontae Parker is going to be out. He has two hamstring injuries, I think. Um, Jarvis Landry is like, I, yeah, Jar- <laughs> Jarvis Landry is on this, on in a game where they're big underdogs, but I've been doing some research this offseason, and the top projected score on a offense actually scores um, scores more when they are, are underdogs, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but Jarvis Landry only had five games last year without double-digit targets. His red zone usage, usage was through the roof. His target share was as high as almost any receiver not named Eric Decker last year, and Seattle struggles against interior wide receivers. Graham Barfield put me onto this, and I dug a little deeper. Last year, uh, Randall Cobb, 8 for 16. Larry Fitzgerald, 10 for 30. Quentin Patton, 5 for 93. Marcus Wheaton, 9 for 201. Even Jeremy Butler of the Ravens, 7 for 72. All guys that play a lot of slot against Seahawks. Uh, we know they're really good on uh, in the secondary, but we've seen tight ends really perform well against Seattle. Uh, and we've seen slot receivers perform well. And I think that we are going to see a garbage time hero at wide receiver out of Jarvis Landry this week. Very interesting. One of my homeboys, Greg, shout out to Greg, was actually just texting me minutes before we recorded this podcast about my uh, three key tendencies for each defensive scheme article. And he was wondering why I didn't mention anything about Seattle in terms of them defending tight ends. So that's interesting that he's a big Seahawks fan. And essentially, he was saying that they they really do struggle uh, on the interior at times. And he was he actually um, connected it with giving up. Uh, fantasy production to tight ends but as you have just alerted me to it seems like interior receivers in general Seattle has given up a lot of production to so good stuff something to keep in mind we just got some breaking news that Devontae Parker has actually suffered a third hamstring injury (laughs) now he officially has more hamstring injuries than hamstrings so (laughs) but my wide receiver week one my first guy is DeAndre Hopkins, 8,400 on FanDuel, 8,800 on DraftKings. The Bears defense ranked 31st in DVOA to wide receiver ones in 2015, and they have the same cornerback, same free safety this year. Kyle Fuller should see a lot of DeAndre as long as he's healthy. Chicago's top three corners actually have missed a ton of practice time over the last uh, week or so all nursing injuries so that's something to keep in mind when a whole secondary unit is not on the field together sometimes miscommunications and things of that sort can happen Chicago tends to play a lot of two safety deep some man coverage underneath De- DeAndre Hopkins doesn't need the deep ball to be successful he's a technician he can win underneath uh, against that man coverage and he should have a high volume game He's always a good bet to hit pay dirt at home. He averages 0.69 touchdowns per game at home over the last two seasons. And his touchdown potential is further bolstered by the fact that the Texans team total currently sits at 25, which is nearly four points higher than their season average from last year, which was 21.2 points a game. And uh, that's something that I always like to look out for when a team when Vegas is projecting a team for higher than what they normally score, uh, that's usually a good bet that there's a little added scoring potential, touchdown potential for the top touchdown scorers on that team, of which Hopkins is, of course, uh, him and Miller are, of course, the best bets to score in that game. And my second wideout is Dante Moncrief. Detroit... Their percentage of deep passes allowed has been 16% below the league average in defensive coordinator Terrell Austin's first two seasons, which should somewhat negate T.Y. Hilton. Also working against Hilton is the fact that 
Darius Slay will probably line up on him. Detroit's cornerback, Detroit's top cornerback, and Detroit was actually top five last season in getting targeted by wide receiver twos, which Moncrief is. Last season, Moncrief saw 33% of Andrew Luck's touchdowns and the also the highest percentage of Andrew Luck's completions. So I really like Moncrief, uh, especially on FanDuel where he's 6,200. On DraftKings, he's 6K, so affordable on both sites. Uh, I would be okay with playing him in cash, especially on FanDuel. TJ, what is your key wide receiver stat? Sure. One quick note on Moncrief. I mentioned how I compared Dak's uh, salary to his wide receivers. The Indianapolis Colts top three projected pass catchers are the most underpriced relative to their quarterback. So that's a little uh, nugget there. But my stat, which I touched on with Jarvis Landry, is over the last three years, the top projected wide receiver on a team, aka the wide receiver one on a team, scores the most when teams have implied totals under 21 and when they are underdogs by seven or more points. Hmm, Very interesting. Mine is, and some of you guys might have seen this because I tweeted it yesterday as well, but Odell Beckham versus the Cowboys in 2015 in the first game, he went 5 for 44 with no touchdowns on 8 targets. And in the second game, 4 catches, 35 yards, no touchdowns on 6 targets. So in 2 games against Dallas, Beckham combined for only 9 catches, 79 yards, and 0 touchdowns. The Giants had the ball for 22 minutes in the first game and in the second game they threw the ball only 24 times so that is a reminder of Beckham's floor even though he has one of the highest weekly ceilings in the game moving on to the tight end position TJ who are you feeling at TE well I think there is Really only one play at tight end, but you stole him from me, so I'll tell you my <laughs> other guy. And that's Jared Cook, who's $2,900 on DraftKings, $5,300 on FanDuel. I think he's a fantastic pivot off of the tight end that you will mention later on DraftKings. And I think he's also a great pivot off of the tight end that you'll mention later on FanDuel, as well as Kobe Fleener, who is priced at 5400 on FanDuel. So he's uh, priced a little bit below them, so I think people will uh, see those really good matchups and kind of avoid Jared Cook because he hasn't been good over the course of his career, but he's been in really poor situations. And the last thing people remember about Green Bay offense last year is them not being very good in the passing game. So um, if you're playing him, it's for touchdown upside. And we talked in the last pod or the podcast before about how he's basically uh, insurance policy for Jordy Nelson. The Packers want to use him up the seam on some deeper routes. There is There are rumblings that Jordy might not even play a full complement of snaps. So we can see uh, that come into fruition right away in week one. And I think uh, from a tournament perspective, Green Bay can be the kind of forgotten offense of the week. They're in a really good spot at Jacksonville. And I think a lot of people are going to be focusing on that Indy game, on that New Orleans-Oakland uh, game. So targeting the Green Bay pass catchers could be very lucrative. And I think Jared Cook falls into that category. Definitely. I'm going with Dwayne Allen. That's probably the chalk play. He is 5,500 on FanDuel, 3,200 on DK. At the tight end position, as I found in my year in review articles for FanDuel and DraftKings, the ones that hit tournament value the most, home favorites with high team totals. So tight ends are a little game script dependent, just like running backs, because they are more conservative options and they score shorter touchdowns. So the Allen fits the bill there. The Colts are currently three and a half point favorites, have a team total of 27 points. In Andrew Luck's career, 30 of his 101 touchdown passes, or roughly 30%, have gone to the tight end. Now, that might be a little bit inflated because the Colts played a lot more two tight end sets than they're expected to play this year, but it's not like Allen's scoring 40-yard touchdown receptions anyway, so when the Colts get in close, Allen is a great bet for a TD, especially given the high team total. And something I just wanted to mention, 
defensive versus position stats are not usually very sticky from year to year, but it's worth mentioning because Detroit does have the same defensive coordinator, Terrell Austin. They finished as a bottom five team versus tight ends, and they gave up uh, a league-leading 12 tight ends to the position. And when I was doing some research for my DraftKings GPP article, which will drop on Friday for 4 for 4 DFS subscribers, I came across a really kind of funny stat, which is that Detroit allowed 11 double-digit PPR games to tight ends last season. And some of the names on the list are just ridiculous. They they gave up 146 yards in a game-winning Hail Mary to Richard Rodgers. They, <laughs> gave, they gave up double-digit PPR game to Darren Fells, Justin Perillo, Owen Daniels, Vance McDonald catching passes from Blaine Gabbert, uh, and Kyle Rudolph. So, I mean... Detroit was had by tight ends last year. We'll see if that carries over. I mean, maybe they spent the whole offseason trying to rectify that issue. But given the fact that they have to worry about T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief and Andrew Luck running around and throwing deep and this and that, I don't think they're going to be able to allocate too many resources to stopping Dwayne Allen. The only worry I'd have with Allen is that he might stay into block quite a bit because Uh, The Indianapolis offensive line is a little banged up right now, but at Allen's price point, I think that risk is priced in. You usually want to save as much cash as you can on tight ends, and I think TJ hit it right on the head with the Jared Cook selection. Another volatile, somewhat risky pick, but there's not a lot of tight ends that stand out this week. And because of that, I think you want to save money. Of course, in tournaments, you can play around with that and maybe go contrarian and pay up because not not a lot of people will. But especially in cash games, you want to kind of go as low as you can if there's not a clear standout option at the position. TJ, key stat. Well, first of all, I look at football stats for a living, and I had no idea that tight end was that that Detroit was that bad against tight ends last year. So that's a really good note. Um, my stat on tight ends is the average tight end converts thirty two percent of red zone targets into touchdowns and six percent of all targets into scores. Last year, Jordan Reed converted forty four percent of his red zone targets into scores and ten percent of his targets overall. Yeah, I love Jordan Reed. I think you can kind of just treat him like a wide receiver almost. He's essentially the Redskins' top receiver. Deshaun Jackson will get his looks, but I I would guess that Reed out-targets Jackson on the year. My key stat, Travis Kelsey last season in two games versus the Chargers combined 12 targets, 64 yards, and zero touchdowns. But do you play daily fantasy If so, you should be playing on draft. Get this, your chances of winning on draft are over 200% better than on the other DFS sites. If you're not a pro and not spending hours a day on fantasy, you should be playing on draft. You'll win more often. It's statistically proven. On draft, you do a simple snake draft just like at the beginning of your season-long week. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one week and they take only minutes to complete. I have draft on my phone. I just did a 10-person draft and got Antonio Brown with my number one pick, and I'm about to do another. Join me. Download draft now. Be sure to enter the promo code 4 for 4 That's the number four, the letters F-O-R, and the number four when you download, and you will get a 100% bonus when you deposit. Again, download draft app and enter promo code 4 for 4 now. Let's get right into kickers. For kickers and defense, uh, me and TJ will switch off. I'll do kickers this week. I got Steven Hauschka, 4,800 on FanDuel. As we mentioned, Seattle, big favorites, high team total. And Hauschka has the highest projected ceiling out of any kicker this week. If you guys are looking for ceiling projections, you can get access to them by subscribing to 4 for 4 DFS subscription. Our floor and ceiling projections are in each of the site lineup generators this season. And my key stat for kickers is that home favorites on FanDuel 
in 2015 scored 1.60 uh, points per thousand dollars of salary that was the highest out of the four possible combos the next highest was road favorites at 1.53 tj what defense are you looking at I really like the Arizona Cardinals, especially in GPPs. They're $3,500 on DraftKings, five, uh, $5,000 on FanDuel. And I think they're going to be very under-owned given Seattle's and Kansas City's matchups, uh, both similarly priced defenses, but I think they are going to be much higher owned. Uh, they're at the top, so people are going to see them first when they log in, uh, and everyone knows that they're really good home matchups. I think that some people underestimate the fact that the Cardinals are five-and-a-half-point home favorites. I think people are going to overestimate the name value of the New England offense, even without Tom Brady, and if the Cardinals do get up by as much as they're expected to, then they're very good at putting pressure on the quarterback, creating turnovers. We saw it multiple times last season. They are one of the top-scoring fantasy defenses in the league, which is very important distinction to make because the best defenses are not always the best fantasy defenses, and going against an uh, inexperienced Jimmy Garoppolo, if they do get up big, I think that could uh, really pay off, especially in tournaments. I do like Seattle. I do love Kansas City. I'll probably have them in cash games, but uh, Cardinals are a great pivot play. Uh, my defensive nugget, which you can use building your lineup, since 2000, West Coast teams playing in the 1 p.m. game in the Eastern time zone are 56 and 121, losing by an average score of 24 to 19. So that's just 121 Raiders losses. Okay. (laughs) And now you guys heard the end of the DFS MVP podcast. (laughs) Moving on to our DFS theory segment on early season Vegas lines. TJ, this was your idea, something... I think is a very important topic to visit early in the season because as DFS players, we do pay so much attention to the Vegas line. So TJ, just explain what you were thinking, the research you did and what you found. Yeah, so one thing we talk about in DFS and especially here on the DFS MVP podcasts are the how to use Vegas lines in our research, uh, what they mean position by position, and they are very important. Uh, but there is a theory that Vegas is less accurate early in the year, and I've never seen it quantified. So I wanted to uh, figure out if that was actually true. I want a statistic to back it up. And this is going to have uh, probably more tournament implications and cash game implications, but I think it's especially important in week one when if you are playing a bigger chunk of tournaments, it probably should be early in the year when you have an influx of new players and the sites are offering the best value and the biggest tournaments. So uh, keep that in mind as we're going through this data. What I did is I, I broke up all of the Vegas data over under implied point totals and spreads into single weeks. So looked at every single week on its own, looked at two week, three week, and four week buckets to see if there's any tendencies, if there's any movement away from the norm, from what we expect Vegas to do um, on a week by week basis. And what I found is that the biggest variation from Vegas accuracy comes in the first quarter of the season. So in short, the biggest favorites early in the season aren't always the biggest winners or not at as much or by as much as we expect them to be. Uh, And the highest expected scores aren't the highest scores over the first quarter of the season. So I'll just run through these numbers quickly, and then we'll go back and forth about uh, exactly what we think it means and what implications it should have on our game selection and on our lineup building. So in the first four weeks of the season, teams that are favored by seven points to nine and a half points, um, win by an average of 10.6 points. And teams that are favored by 10 plus also win by an average of 10.6 points. That varies from the norm. Usually teams that are favored by seven to nine and a half points only win by an average of about nine and a half points. Teams that are favored by 10 or more usually win by over 12 points. So we see uh, a really big convergence that teams... If they're favored by more than a touchdown, 
early in the season, we can expect them to win on average by the same margin. Uh, as we get later in the season, that margin's really going to separate. The teams that are favored by the most are on average going to win the most. So very important to note early in the season. Uh, same thing with implied point totals. If we look at the just like the, the tier right below the highest scoring game, so uh, a lot of times we'll see maybe two or three teams projected for 28-plus points. There's only a couple each week. Uh, and then right below that, we'll see a, another few teams projected for 26 to uh, just under 28 points, 27.75. So I looked at the averages for both of those buckets. Teams with an implied point total of 26 to 27.75 average 28.3 points in the first four weeks of the season. Teams with a implied point total over 28 average 29.9 points in the first quarter of the season. If we look at the overall Vegas data, that 26 to 27.7 bucket, they average 27.5 points uh, in the long term. Teams with a implied point total over 28 average 29.7 points over the long term. So again, uh, early in the season, we see a difference of only about a point and a half. But as we get into the longer term or the other three quarters of the season, we see a difference of over two points. So considering all the games, that's a really big difference. So the, the top teams uh, aren't outscoring that second tier by as much as we would expect them to. Uh, and then looking at over-unders, just the highest scoring games, if we're thinking about those shootouts, teams that are uh, projected or games that are projected to have between 46 and 48 points average 48.8 points in the first quarter of the season and games that are projected over 48 points average 50.5 points so about a point and a half difference but over the long term uh, the teams projected between 46 and 48 average 47.5. Teams projected over 48 average 51.1. So early on in the season, the difference between those highest scoring games and this, the second uh, most second highest projected scoring games, there's only about a point difference. But as we get later into the season, over the long term, we see a difference of four points between those highest scoring teams and then the teams in that second bucket. So uh, early on in the season, those those teams projected right below the highest scoring teams or the highest scoring games uh, are going to be right on par in terms of points scored. So uh, those are just kind of the numbers what I found. I think they have some really interesting implications. We've talked about them a little bit. Chris, do you just kind of want to touch on what some of these major takeaways might be when we're building our lineups or just from Vegas lines in general? Definitely. Well, in tournaments especially, people are generally going to be targeting the teams with the highest implied totals and the teams playing in the games with the highest over-unders. So if you can drop down a tier and build your lineup exposure more around those second tiers in terms of implied points and in terms of over-under, you might be getting a lot of more value because ownership will be decreased and as TJ mentioned early in the season there's not really much of a difference between the highest team totals and those second tier team totals of the highest over-unders and the second tier over-unders because what seems to be happening is Vegas seems to be slightly underestimating some of the the high scoring teams that are not at the highest rung yet and maybe even overestimating uh, some teams at the highest end from probably from last season. So in terms of week one, for example, you have games like the Falcons-Bucks, who is in that 47.5 range. You have the Cardinals-Patriots game, which is in that 47 range. And, uh, even the Giants game in that 46 range there's a there's a few games in that kind of second tier that stand out that could provide some value while a lot of people are going to be targeting the Oakland and New Orleans game and the Detroit Indianapolis game. So that's something to keep in mind. Also some other things I wanted to mention, we public betting trends are something that we haven't talked about much on the podcast, but essentially the Vegas sites show how what percentage of the public is betting on each side of the line. So they'll show it for the spread, for the money line, and for the over-under. And you can actually find 
this data on 4 for 4 now by going to the DFS drop down on the red ribbon on the top of the page and clicking on Vegas odds and it'll take you to a page where you can see the Vegas odds or you can uh, click a filter and it'll take you to the betting trends and you can see it and one of the things you want to look out for is when the Vegas lines do not follow the betting trends so for example if the public was hammering one side of a line or one side of the over-under and Vegas was not adjusting it, or more importantly, if Vegas was actually moving the line the other way. So assume a a ton of people, assume you see 80% of people betting the over, but yet Vegas moves the over down. That would indicate that you know, there a lot of sharp money is coming in on the other side, and that's something you really want to take note of because a lot of times the sharps and the sharp money will catch things that we might not otherwise catch. I see some of that going on in that Jets Cincy game where maybe we're underestimating how slow paced of a game that is or how much pressure is going to be on Andy Dalton. Um, but a lot of these, a lot of times these reverse line movements really don't uh, become apparent till Saturday night or Sunday morning or right before a game. I remember me and TJ did a podcast around Thanksgiving last year and we saw, we saw some interesting line movement, I believe on one of the Thanksgiving games that turned out to be really helpful, but yeah, the Detroit game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but in general, you always want to check for those uh, reverse line movements. A lot of times they can, those things can factor in, for example, the wind and how the wind might affect, or just the weather in general might affect a game, something that's really hard to quantify otherwise. So uh, something to keep in mind there. And just wanted to mention one other note on the Vegas lines and implied team totals and such. You can see all of the implied team totals, spreads, and over-unders in the 4 for 4 lineup generators as well. And you can filter your player pool by any of that Vegas criteria as well. So, very cool addition to the lineup generator. Uh, TJ, any closing thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I think you pretty much covered all the major implications. I did just want to go back and touch on the uh, the difference in the spread. I think a lot of people are going to be targeting the defenses and the running backs that are favored by the most. Uh, and we did touch on those guys as really good values. But what that's going to do, it's going to push down the ownership of guys like David Johnson, Lamar Miller, and their respective defenses. So uh, really pay close attention to that when you're building your lineups this week. Definitely. So in closing, be sure to check out the 444 DFS subscription on 444.com. We have a ton of stuff to help you profit the most accurate projections since 2010. Site-specific lineup generators with uh, median floor and ceiling projections for each. Stack value reports, top picks and bargains from myself and TJ. Weekly content, apps, tools, downloads. A lot of people have been asking me about the DFS sub content schedule, so I'll just go over that really quickly. On Wednesday, Raybon's review will come out, which is, if you guys were familiar last year with my FanDuel Hindsight column, it's essentially uh, the same thing except looking at the entire DFS landscape, so not just FanDuel but DraftKings as well or anything else that may be relevant, and I just go back and try to find the lessons learned in the previous week if I had some particularly bad uh, calls in terms of plays, I will... Uh, try to dive into what went wrong there and it's a really valuable column uh, not only to read but just for me to write because it it helps me to really stay attuned to anything that's changing uh, as far as how the sites are pricing etc I remember last year that column is how I ended up figuring out really zeroing in on the fact that running backs made for viable stacking partners in tournaments with quarterbacks so that's on wednesday then a thursday we have our fanduel cash game article our DraftKings cash game article our niche site article which focuses on yahoo fantasy aces 
and draft day. We'll have stacking the deck, which is which focuses on the top tournament stacks for FanDuel and DraftKings. We'll have the cash game optimal lineup walkthrough where we look at the optimal lineups and basically just analyze whether you would use those straight up or what changes you would make to the optimal uh, projected lineups. We have our cornerback matchups, schemes, and injuries to exploit on defense. And all those things are on Thursday. Then on Friday, we have our GPP articles for FanDuel and DraftKings, separate articles. And then we also have our ownership projections article. It looks like FanDuel will not be releasing Thursday ownership this year or letting you view it, excuse me, in contests. So we are coming up with our own algorithm to project ownership on both FanDuel and DraftKings. So that's all out on Friday. So that that's the basic rundown of the uh, content for the DFS sub. Of course, you get access to the lineup generators. You can build hundreds of lineups. You can export them. You can save them. Uh, and we have our stack value reports and all that good stuff. And of course, you get access to the other two 4 for 4 subscriptions, uh, premium and pro as well, included with the DFS subscription. This is DFS MVP, TJ Hernandez. You can find him on Twitter at T-J-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And you can find me, Chris Raybon, on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. Week one, TJ. Any closing thoughts, man? Money rules everything around me. Let's get this money. Think around.